0: Buddy, this is Ellen Weatherford and I am here as always with just the zoo of us and this week we're talking to a brand new friend. This is Patsy Delacy. Say hi, Patsy. Hi. Nice to meet you everyone. It's nice to hear from you. I'm really excited, first of all, about the animal that we're talking about today. And second of all, to hear from you because you you study some really cool stuff. So I would love it if you could take just a second to introduce yourself to our buddies.
1: Sure. Um, So as you said before, uh, my name is Patsy and I'm a Ph.D. student at the University of Michigan. Uh, So I live in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Um, and I'm in the psychology department. And then within that, the biopsychology area, and I study gelata monkeys. Um, so they're the species of monkey uh, that lives in Ethiopia, which is in Africa. And yeah, I'm really excited to talk to you about them today. That's
0: awesome. So so what kind of work do you do with the gelatas? Like when you say that you study them, like what does that look like? Does that look like field work or lab work or like, give us an idea?
1: Uh, So I really like that I can do both. So I travel to Ethiopia and um, collect data there. So we have a field site in um, the Simeon Mountains, um, which is in the north part of the country. And so I go there with this project called the Simeon Mountains Gelata Research Project and stay at the field station there. And then I go out. um, We find the monkeys in the morning at like 7 or 8 o'clock when they come up from the cliff and then follow them throughout the day. I collect um, behavioral data on them. They're really fun to follow their social lives. And um, we also collect poop and pee samples from them. So those are like non-invasive methods of studying things like genetics and hormones. So the lab work comes when I come back to the United States. So we ship those samples back. And then um, at my lab here at the University of Michigan, um, do hormone assays. And then I've done a little bit of genetics things with a collaborator who was at University of Washington, but now is at the University of Arizona.
0: Okay. Before we get into like any more about that. So we're talking about geladas. Yes. And this is not gelato like the Italian dessert, but those spelled similarly, right? G-E-L-A-D-A
1: yes yeah they sound very awesome
0: (laughs) they do but so you know I'll I'll be honest and say that until probably about last year or so I had never heard of a gelada I feel like this is an animal that doesn't get a lot of attention um it's not exactly going to be in one of those like baby's first animals books you know (laughs) so why don't you introduce us a little bit to what a gelada is yeah, I'm
1: happy to. Agreed that uh, geladas are uh, kind of not the first monkey that you hear about. Um, so they are a monkey, a type of monkey, and they're closely related to baboons, um, but they're not technically a baboon. So they used to be called gelada baboons, but then once we started doing more genetics, we found out they were their own thing. So they live only in Ethiopia um, in like high altitude areas, uh, which is really cool. They have those adaptations. They are the only primarily grazing primates. So they eat mostly grass, which is also quite strange. They have a really cool chest patch. So they have like a bare patch of skin on their chest. Um, so that gave them the nickname, the bleeding heart monkey sometimes, uh, which is a fun nickname. And that's also unique to gelatas. So for males, that chest patch changes from pale pink to bright red based on uh, dominant status, which is what I'm studying right now. And females also have one, uh, have a chest patch that can change shades of pink that we think is related to fertility. And yeah, they're a really unique species. They are really good climbers and they're really like well adapted for this unique area of the world.
0: So you, you mentioned that they are monkeys. So how can you tell that it's a monkey and not an
1: ape? That's a good question. So the good way to just by sight would be something like uh, whether they have a tail or not. So monkeys all have tails, apes don't have tails. So that's a way just like to parse it out by looking at them, but they're along different uh, family lines. So great apes uh, and lesser apes are like split off from monkeys along like 65 million years ago or something like that. Um, And then uh, you have old world monkeys that live in Africa and Asia, and then new world monkeys live in uh, Central and South America. So also like the region that you're in can let you know um, if it's a monkey or ape. And monkeys are usually quite a bit smaller too. So great apes are obviously quite big. Uh, So great apes would be like chimpanzees or gorillas, uh, orangutans or um, bonobos. But I would say the tail trick is the best way to check it out. <laughs>
0: so, does the gelada have the tail?
1: They do. Yeah, they have a very fluffy tail, which I appreciate about them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, it's fluffy! <laughs>
1: it is very fluffy. Um, especially the males. The males have like um we call it a mane, and then like a, a cape like around their shoulders. Uh, so they're very fluffy.
0: <laughs> That's very regal sounding. It yeah. sounds like a like a lion.
1: Mm-hmm. They kind of do look like little lions.
0: And I've seen – so you mentioned that they eat grass, and I've seen kind of pictures of them. They don't look like they would eat grass, right? They kind of look like some of those other, like, baboons or or stuff like that that you you wouldn't expect them to have that kind of diet.
1: Exactly, yeah. So they have really large canines, so they kind of resemble baboons in that way. And baboons eat meat, so they're omnivores. Uh, Baboons will eat fruit. And they'll also like hunt for meat, but geladas still have this large canine, but uh, so it looks like they might eat meat or something other than grass. But we think this is just from like their uh, last common ancestor and then they don't, it's more of like a sexually selected trait now for the canines. So same thing with baboons, it's like more exaggerated in males than females. And those canines could be used for male-male competition, so like fighting one another, um, instead of for for eating. So um, kind of like a odd mixture there, where they have you know this big canine that they use for fighting, but they just eat grass, so they don't really need it for survival um, in the sense of eating.
0: That's pretty interesting, and in that I think that is a good sort of transition into our first category to rate them in, which if this is your first time ever listening to our show, uh, we review animals and we give them ratings out of 10 based on three categories. And the first category that we talk about is effectiveness. And what this is is physical adaptations that are built into the body of the animal that let it do a good job of the thing it's trying to do. So these are things like apprehending its food source or escaping predators, or chasing prey if they have to, which these are herbivores, so they don't have to chase their prey, but um, just, just things that are built into their body that make them do a good job of those things. So what would you give the geladas for? Oh, I should have asked, by the way, is the gelata one species, or is it multiple species?
1: Um, So they're they're in their own genus. Their epithecus is their genus, and then um, their species is gelada. Um, so they're the only species of their genus. So there's some debate about subspecies, but um, we'll just say, yeah, that they're their own species.
0: keep it Mm -hmm. simple. (laughs) So what would you give them for effectiveness out of 10?
1: I think I'm going to go with a nine. They're pretty effective.
0: That's pretty good.
1: Yeah, that is good. So I only docked off one point um, because they're really specialized for the area that they live in. So I didn't do a 10 out of 10 because they're very well adapted for a small region of the world. Baboons are really good at They're like habitat generalists, so they can do really well in a bunch of different environments. But geladas are very effective for their small region.
0: And you mentioned that they're living up in mountains. Is this like a high altitude sort of area that they live in?
1: Yeah, so they live in high altitude areas of Ethiopia. And where I study them is called the Simian Mountains. And it's really dramatic mountain range. So they have really sheer cliff edges and they live on uh, grassy plateaus. So there's plateaus and then like a really sheer drop off. And they sleep on cliff edges to stay away from predators, which is really cool. So they'll climb down the cliff um, in the evening and then sleep there along the cliff edge. And we actually don't know too much about what they're doing while they're down there because you would need repelling equipment to get down there. So we can't safely go down and see what they're up to. But they go down there to sleep. And they're really good climbers because every morning they they climb up the cliff. And uh, it's really wild to see them. Like you look, you know, peer over the edge and then just... Spot in the distance, like a fluffy rock that's moving. (laughs) (laughs) And then, yeah, they eventually reach the top. They start grazing and and grooming, and then they'll range on the plateau throughout the day and then go back down again at night.
0: Okay, so you mentioned that they are fluffy. Is this in response to, like, the temperature? Is it cold where they live, or is it still kind of
1: warm? It does get pretty chilly. So usually think about Africa, like you typically – Think about like a savanna environment but this is a afromontane uh habitat it's called so it's alpine it's really mountainous and uh high altitude and it can get pretty chilly at night so it uh, can get close to freezing at night um so i think um the fluffiness definitely can be helpful for that and an interesting part though is that this they have this bare patch of skin on their chest uh, which seems kind of maladaptive for like this high altitude area, because it seems like they uh, might be losing heat through the chest as well. Um, So that's something I'm looking into in my studies, just because sometimes like a sexually selected signal like this chest patch that I've been talking about might have a cost with it. So if you have a really bright chest patch, so like more um, blood flowing through that area, um, you might have a brighter chest patch, but lose heat through it. So kind of trade-offs there.
0: Yeah. And well, you mentioned that, you know, it's it's something that lets them communicate to each other, like their social standing. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of serving as like a window, right, like into their body, because otherwise they're fluffy, and you can't see what's going on. But they have a little just a little window right here. That's like, here, you can see exactly, exactly. how virile I am. Exactly.
1: <laughs> (laughs) (laughs)
0: did their presence in these mountains have to do with the name simian mountains or is it uh, related to different monkeys
1: that's a good question i'm not sure where the name came from uh, for the simian mountains if it it was called that because geladas are there that's a great question i'm not sure (laughs) it's a cool place there's also um two other endemic species there the ethiopian wolf uh, which is quite endangered and really pretty and then uh the walia ibex um it has like really cool horns and like a a beard so a very unique like habitat and lots of unique wildlife there too
0: So the the geladas are herbivores so they're not preying on anything else but are there things there that prey on them
1: Yes uh so there's leopards in the area they're quite cryptic um so I've only seen a leopard once after spending um, like a year and 3 months there in total, and there are also hyenas, but I've also not seen hyenas much. But they're nocturnal, so it makes more sense that I haven't seen them. Um, so those are their big predators. There's gyres, which is a type of a species of vulture, uh, there as well. Yeah, which are super cool, and they get. Antsy when they're around, which maybe they could get a small baby or something like that. But we've never, um, I've never seen that like reported or anything. So
0: we've done an episode on the bearded vulture like way back when. It was a while back, but it's like one of my favorite animals. I love it so much. So cool. um, and I think that they are just so draconic looking that if you saw one flying around, regardless of whether you had any reason to be, I feel like it would definitely elicit a fear response.
1: (laughs) worth an alarm call.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, how can, how can you blame them? Honestly. So they, they have a couple of things that are, that are preying on them. And you mentioned that they sleep on the cliffs to hide. Um, But, but during the day when they're not sleeping on the cliffs, do they have any sort of like mechanisms that they can use to, escape from potential predators or like how are they not being eaten
1: yeah so i think their biggest strength is just sheer numbers so geladas are really really interesting To um i keep saying that but they have so many unique things about them they form these massive groups so their social structure at the smallest level they have a unit we call it which is a um like a dominant male and then a group of females like two to twelve females and their offspring there might be a subordinate male that follows them around. um, And then that's like the small family unit and then several units to come together to form a band. Um, And then even throughout the day, several bands might come together on the plateau and they can form groups of a thousand or more geladas, which is really strange for primates because most primates are xenophobic. So they don't like other primates of the same species, like members of the same species. But Gelatas, like, hear a group of gelatas and just, like, bolt for them. They're like, oh, let's hang out. Like, (laughs) um, (laughs) they all congregate. Um, So, um, in a sense, with predators, they're just numbers, I think, help. Because they'll alarm call. um, So, make, like, the sharp alarm call if they see some sort of predator and just kind of, like... Kind of yell at it until it goes away. That's what I saw <laughs> happen with a, a leopard. They were on the edge of a cliff. They had just come up in the morning and then like maybe about 300 meters down, um, there's a leopard that they started alarm calling at and they all just started screaming <laughs> pretty much at the leopard and it just like slunk away into the bushes like swipe or no swiping sort of situation.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I can relate because sometimes I too scream at my problems until they go away. So <laughs> It works sometimes. I wish it worked for me as well
1: as it does for them.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think this is a, a good way to get into our next category, which is ingenuity. And ingenuity is behavioral adaptations that an animal has developed that let it solve problems that it's encountering on a daily basis. Or like these might be strategies that they use or just like things that they're doing with their body to give them an advantage. So what would you give the geladas
1: for ingenuity? So for Ingenuity, I give them a bit of a low, lower score. Um, so I gave them a 5 out of 10. Um, okay. Yeah, so I, I love Gelatas, but they are, compared to other primates, they're very pretty but very simple. Um, so um, most primates have really developed individual recognition, so they know who the other members of their groups are. and know their relationship with that individual or even have like third party knowledge. So they know like, you know, you know your relationship with Bill and with Susie, but you also know Bill and Susie's relationship and how that affects you. So like, I guess my bar for geladas is compared to like, compared to other primates that are very good at these things. But gelatas are strange because they, they lack individual recognition. So we've done some studies before and found like with playback experiments. You do like a vocal record vocalizations and then like play it back in certain contexts to see how they react. And males don't recognize any other adult males outside of their own unit. Um, So bands that spend up to 70% of their time together, um, the males don't care to know like, or just don't know the other males that are around them, which is pretty strange. Um, And so they, they know their unit and that's pretty much it. So even though they form these enormous groups, Um, they just have like this small group that they know and everyone else is kind of a stranger going back to the previous category. I feel like they have, um, more physiological things like in their body to come over these things. So they have signals to overcome individual recognition. So because they don't know who the others are around them, um, they have, um, or at least we've like theorized that this is why they have these things like, um, the chest patch. So to show your status uh, to other males you might not know, they have vocalizations that can show quality. Females have chest patches and also like their butt pads can change color. So (laughs) that's like uh, two different ways for females to show like their reproductive status or their different things that they can display about themselves. So they lack the ingenuity part of things, but make up for it with their physiological adaptations.
0: That's interesting. I feel like in the other primates we've looked into, it usually goes the other way around. I, I felt like usually like primates kind of excel in ingenuity <laughs> so exactly. they've kind of they've kind of flipped the script but have you seen any sort of like evidence to support that maybe like that lack of being able to like recognize individuals is maybe like a reason why they're receptive to other groups right because they're like I don't know you maybe we've had beef in the past but I have no idea <laughs> like
1: <laughs> like
0: like maybe they're just like I, I don't know you you could be my uncle I have no idea let's just group up just in case
1: a way to keep the peace, exactly.
0: <laughs> they, have, they just have the inability to hold grudges.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, other yeah. than within their unit, you know, external unit, it's just like some guy.
0: <laughs> you don't know who they I are. like
1: that. Just a gelato.
0: <laughs> I like that. It's kind of like. Would you describe their nature as kind of like? It sounds like they're a little bit pacifist. Does this sort of gel? Yeah,
1: I've heard them, uh, oh, gel, I like that, because geladas. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You got me. (laughs) One of our loving nicknames for them, gels. Yeah, I could see pacifist as a a good um, euphemism for them. There's definitely skirmishes between units sometimes, but in general... Um, as primates go, they're a bit more chill.
0: I like that. I can relate to that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Do get a little, um, not pacifist with takeovers. So, because of they have these like one male units, they're like males when they reach sexual maturity, they leave their unit and go join a bachelor unit. So, there'll be like a bachelor unit of all like young to early adult males, um, that just like hang around the units and cause havoc kind of similar to human males (laughs) Um, and um, they uh, try to when they get big enough and strong enough they try to take over a unit male Um, so the like takeover season and like usually happens March April is kind of a tumultuous time when there's a lot of like turnover but that's like a just kind of a part of their social system cycle.
0: Sure. So you mentioned that your particular like field of study is in their behavior and like the selections that they exhibit for like behaviors or stuff like like what kind of things are you seeing behaviors that maybe they're preferring in their like sexual selection?
1: So I guess I can go into what I'm studying for my dissertation. So I'm looking at, as I said, the, the chest patch. So we think the chest patch might be part of this system in the dominant leader males have um, redder chest patches than subordinate males or than bachelors. And they also have like these loud call vocalizations that we think might be um, maybe more genetic and kind of standard for the male. Whereas the chest patch changes with, it seems to change with current condition as well. So might be like a signal of how healthy and vigorous that male is at that time. Um, so one of my ideas is that the bachelor males, like when they're deciding which leader male to target if they have like a maybe a mismatch between like a good loud call or like a good unit and their chest happens to be paler than usual might be like a way to target that male to take over so these are some like ideas that i'm i'm testing like why they might have a chest patch a lot of like male male competition assessment and we're not Sure, if there's much female choice, it's really hard to study with takeovers just because they're so chaotic. And sometimes there's like several males that might be able to take over a male uh, takeover unit and the females may like back up in a group towards one or the other. so I guess they can kind of show allegiance in, in that way. But I overall don't think that the redness of the chest patch is like a showy characteristic for the females. I think it's more related to male male competition
0: makes sense which way does it go is it that the males that already naturally have the redder chest patch just they fall into that dominant role or is it that the chest patch becomes more red because they're in a dominant role like does it which way does it go
1: great question um it's the the second one so it becomes more red when they become a leader uh which is quite interesting um and it also loses color when they lose status so when they get taken over, it becomes pale again. Um, so it's a really like unique coloration trait in that sense that it like changes throughout their lifetime and also with, with social status.
0: Is it known how that happens? Like, like how does the color of the skin showing through their patch respond to like
1: their social life? Yeah, great question. Uh, so that's what I'm working on right now. And well, we've found evidence that it's related to vascularization. So with um, blood flow, so some other animals, like different colors or pigmentation might come from pigments like carotenoids or something like that. But it's, it's not that with geladas or with most primate redness comes from like vascularization. So I found from um, like when the animals were anesthetized for blood collection, like we have some licensed veterinarians that came out with us and um, had them anesthetized and then, you know, woke up and went back to their unit. And while they were down, we put a heat pack and an ice pack. On them like to see how the coloration changes from baseline um, and similar to skin it like with the heat pack they get redder and with the ice pack it's more pale so that kind of pointed toward vascularization and then the genetics project I'm working on right now um, we found that genes in males are um, transcribed or, or used more to like make proteins for um, vascularization so like comparing males to females um, they have more like yeah you know, upregulated genes related to blood flow, which is cool to find that mechanism, but we also think there's something hormonal going on, Um, so either with testosterone or testosterone changing to estrogen, um, which can also change things, so I haven't figured out the hormone part of it, uh, but we're working on it.
0: Oh, that's so exciting. I feel like I say this in like just about every episode, like a guest episode with a scientist. It's always that like don't know is my favorite answer. It's the most exciting answer you can give.
1: <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad to do that.
0: Because <laughs> it's like, you know, that's just something left to learn. Yeah. that I feel like it, it always gives an opportunity. Before we move on, I wanted to ask a little bit about something that I find really always interesting to think about in social mammals is like, what does their parental care look like? Like, how are the parents caring for their young?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I obviously focus a lot on the males, but the females have like very interesting Like behaviors and lives too, of course. And the majority of the parental care is done by the mother. So when the babies, they'll have just one at a time to one infant at a time, about like a year and a half to two years, maybe a little more than two years in between each baby. And when they're really young, they'll be carried on the mother's front so they'll like cling to her um shoulders and just kind of like rest on her front and they walk on four legs so the baby's just like hanging there uh, while she walks around and they nurse for the first you know six months or so and then well they nurse for like the first like year and a half or so but they start transitioning to wandering off mom and starting to eat some grass at a certain age Uh, My friend Sophia uh, Carrera, who studies females, would know the exact time, but I do not. Um, And they uh, eventually transition to uh, wandering away from mom and playing with other infants um, in their unit, in other units too, and will ride on mom's back. So they'll like, Uh, get a little piggyback ride or even sit up sometimes and like act like she's a chariot. I feel like I'm (laughs) a little bit, but it's really cute.
0: (laughs) I love that. That's adorable. (laughs) Are the How cute are the babies? They're really
1: cute. Yeah. When they're really, really (laughs) young infants, they're kind of like kind of gross looking. Um, Like they kind of look like baby Voldemort a little bit. um they get way cuter as they get fluffier and then they're really adorable
0: a lot of babies have to hit that adorable bell curve right it's like you don't start off cute you Mm got to give them a minute to adjust to the world outside and then they're cute (laughs) exactly yeah they need a little time they need to
1: get a little more fur you know
0: (laughs) i feel the same with baby birds
1: yeah, exactly. Yeah, baby birds are strange, strange looking. They're <laughs>
0: horrible when they first hatch. Yeah. They look monstrous and then once that fluff comes in you're like, "Okay, now you're
1: cute." <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um so males don't do a ton of parental care other than so I guess one of the big things for parental care that males might do is when a new male comes in and tries to take over the unit. So if the Um, subordinate male stays on he will try to protect his infants from being killed by the new male because similar to lions um, a new male coming in might uh, commit infanticide so kill the infants that are there to bring the females back into estrus so that they can get pregnant again so yeah same idea with lions like in a harem harem system like that so that's a kind of a form of paternal care but kind of indirect but like protecting his infants from harm after they've been taken over um but most of the parental care is done by mom
0: can the males tell which babies are theirs
1: yeah so that's always a good question with primates or any animal like obviously maternity is much more certain because they gave birth to them. But paternity is more difficult. But we think that they seem to assume, I guess, that the, the infants born while they're a leader are theirs. So there might be some paternity from the subordinate male. It's like a much smaller percentage than the dominant male. But at least when they're like doing this kind of protective behavior of infants, it's like if the infant was born while they were a leader, then they will, I guess, assume that it's theirs. Um, I don't really know how their thought process works. You know, like (laughs) with animal cognition, it's like, you know, you can only observe their external behaviors. You can't know like their internal state as well. But Hopefully that answered that.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, even if it's just that like oh they assume like oh I mated with this female and then she had a baby, so it must be mine, you know, like Yeah. Even that is like at least a little bit of logic in there. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly.
0: So uh, that's all really crazy. I I definitely wasn't expecting like a higher effectiveness score than than ingenuity because I, I like I said it was just my expectation that like with primates it goes the other way around, but that's just all these cool ways that the gelada is is very I think unique among monkeys especially. Our, so our last category for ratings is aesthetics. And I think that I know probably whereabouts you are going to rate them. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so what would you give the gelada for aesthetics for how, how beautiful they are? Probably 11 out of 10.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I probably already felt that answer coming though. <laughs>
0: uh-huh. So the, the mane, I think, is the most, like, striking feature that jumps out to me when I see them. But do do the females have the mane as well? Or, like, what kind of dimorphism is
1: there? Yeah. So there is some dimorphism um, where the females don't have... They still have a chest patch, um, but they, they don't have a mane or a cape. And so they're not quite as fluffy um, as the males, but they vary like between like kind of being more blondish to, to dark. And I feel like when I first started studying gelatas, like at first they just all look like brown monkeys, but the more you stare at them and get to know them and like their different, you know, facial features or scars or coloration differences, you know, see a lot of different, uh, a lot of different things you didn't notice at first. Um, so there's definitely certain females that like were our favorites. Um, <laughs> there's one really pretty one named Violet who has a um, she's very dark compared to others, and she has, like, really dark arm patterns, and there's another pretty one um, that's more blonde, and so the females are very pretty, too, but I'm just biased, and I like the males a lot.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that is so often the case with uh, animals, where, like, the males will be the fabulous, beautiful ones, yeah. um, and then the females are kind of there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Sexual selection is definitely acting a lot more on the males than than the females, um, being typically with all of their adornments
0: <laughs> <laughs> and you so you also mentioned that they have a butt patch and which is something that you think about when you think about baboons um what about mandrills are mandrills like in the sort of family mix too
1: yeah so mandrills are mandrillus sphinx so they're um in a different genus than baboons and then geladas but i think they're also i need to fact check myself on this but i think they're also fairly closely related to baboons um but they're in their own genus
0: so i feel like with all of these something that you think about is the the big colorful patch on the butt Mm -hmm. um which is attention grabbing right it's something you notice (laughs) but like what i guess what's going on with the butt patch yeah so
1: actually that's where it's flipped so males they just have um black butt patches so they're like arranged in like a four different patches. So the top two for males are, are still black and the bottom two are black. But um, the bottom ones are, um, they're called ischial callosities. So some old world monkeys uh, have these and they're like tougher skin than like the other one. And it's so they can like spend a lot of time sitting. So they spend all day like squatting on the ground. Um, so some o- other primates will also be squatting on the ground or squatting in trees. So like ischial callosity makes that easier on them. Um, but for females, uh, so the bottom two are the ischial velocities and the top two change color, and it seems to change color with reproductive status, too. And females also have this really wild adaptation, um, that is also unique to primates. They have these, um, we call them beads that they go around like the um, um butt pads and they also go around the chest, like around the hourglass, and um, they start developing once they're like mature and they people get upset with me when I describe it because it sounds kind of gross but they like have these like fluid filled beads essentially so it, it looks just kind of like a fluid filled vesicle I guess that goes around around their patch and around their um their butt and they get larger when they're fertile um so like if they're um like ready to ready to mate yeah, they get filled with fluid and then they um, flatten and kind of go away um, when they're not fertile or when they're lactating. So yeah, females have some, some weird stuff going on too, and no other primate has that. Um, so that's also another gelata mystery that's yet to be solved.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like a good butt mystery. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Why is their no butt like this? Yeah, so the
1: color and then also the, the beads, strange things. <laughs>
0: that is funky but i kind of like it it's an interesting style
1: yeah right <laughs>
0: <laughs> you also mentioned that they have fluffy tails which first of all is adorable and i love it what are they so they're they have these long tails but it sounds to me like a lot of times like when i think of a monkey's tail i think of it as using it to climb through trees mm-hmm. but like either as a balance or as like if it's prehensile then like they're using it for grip but it sounds like this monkey is not spending a lot of time in trees so what is their tail for
1: Yeah. So the tail, like you said, it might be more for balance or something like that with old world monkeys. Um, So the ones living in Africa and Asia. Um, So the prehensile tail that you're talking about, like the tail that can help you move through the trees is actually unique to new world primates. So monkeys that live in Central and South America. So not all of them have that, um, but the ones that are really agile with their tail are ones you're picturing from um, Central and South America. So yeah, the tail is more it seems like for balance and can't be like used as a extra limb or anything like that for geladas. But I feel like the males are very sassy with their tail. You know, they like swishing it. Um, <laughs> I've <laughs> gotten too close to a male before. They're not aggressive towards humans, which is they're habituated to us, um, and they're not aggressive in general. But um, I've gotten a little a little tail smack before, like a, t- a sassy tail smack. Um, so, <laughs> which is like oh my gosh. <laughs> pretty cute. (laughs) (laughs) Do
0: they do that to each other? Do they ever just kind of like give each other a little attitude with their tail?
1: Mm -hmm. I don't know if I've seen them do it as much with each other. Um, Yeah. Other than uh, they spend a lot of their time grooming like most, most primates do. Um, So they'll, you know, get really in there and, you know, make sure they groom the tail too and the chest and all of that. But yeah, the tail I think is more, you know, just a thing that they have for balance and yeah, can't use it for picking up things.
0: Makes sense. Well, I am very excited because I feel like we've, we've learned a lot of really interesting and unique things about an animal that not a lot of people talk about. I think it doesn't get a lot of attention because usually when you are seeing like monkeys like this, you're either seeing like baboons or mandrills. Maybe it's because they have that tendency to kind of get in these big dramatic fights with each other.
1: <laughs> well, right? Zoos too. So people see them more. Yeah.
0: Oh, that's true. Yeah. My zoo has the, the zoo where I live has mandrels. Um, but I don't think I've ever seen geladas in zoos. Do they do okay in zoos? Does any zoo have them?
1: So in the U.S. the Bronx Zoo, uh, New York, and the uh, San Diego Zoo, I think both have geladas. I've never seen them myself, but friends have sent me pictures of them. And just having studied them in the wild, I'm like, oh my gosh, they look so sad compared to simians geladas. Like, but uh, I think they, you know, they're healthy. They they seem to do well at not high altitude areas as well so I'm not trying to rag on the zoos Um, I'm just yeah just enjoy my simian's geladas
0: (laughs) well I mean you had the bar set very high for you right like you're if you're like first time getting to meet them as like in their natural element and thriving in the place where they are from like that's probably setting a really
1: high standard it is yeah and then on top of all of these very pretty traits I've told you about for them uh, since they live in such a dramatic area with cliff edges all around you know they'll like come up in the morning or in the evening just be like they like to pose I feel like on the edge of cliffs and just like kind of look dramatically into the distance like they're pretty you know
0: (laughs) and then they like turn real quick to look at you to check to make sure you had your camera out and if you didn't then they'll do it again (laughs) yeah you got that right don't forget to tag me (laughs) exactly And then the gelata comes up to you like, is that, was that a good one? Ooh, delete that. Actually, take it again. (laughs) I need another. (laughs) (laughs) This one's my profile picture. I mean, if I looked like that, I would definitely be a camera hog. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I'm really excited about all this. So tell before we wrap up for today, um, give us an idea of like any sort of I know you've mentioned the research that you're working on. So tell us a little bit about any sort of projects you're involved with or anything that you want people to know about right now.
1: Yeah, I'm happy to. So um, I just got a grant from the Leakey Foundation to go back to the field, um, so I'm excited about that to collect my my dissertation data. Um, so that's kind of up in the air for when I can go based on COVID, so we'll see when things ease up, but um, I'll go back to the field and be collecting more data about the chest patch, so behavioral things, photos, and um, all sorts of stuff like that. But I guess one thing I'd like to leave people with, you know, if they do some more research about geladas, that the Simeon Mountains has an NGO called Save the Simeons um, that is kind of related to conservation. Um, so, like, I feel like studying any sort of wild animal, you kind of get involved in conservation, too. So it's like an NGO that's working with the Ethiopian Wildlife Conservation Authority. And also the national park to, you know, protect the endemic wildlife there. So the gelada, the Ethiopian wolf, the walia ibex, and kind of like promote, there's a lot of um, ecotourism there to, so to like promote more infrastructure and responsible ecotourism to help like both the local communities, like local Ethiopian communities and the wildlife and beautiful areas. So yeah, if you're interested in geladas, um, I would check it out. And, um, if you ever get a chance to go to Ethiopia, I would definitely say check out the Simians.
0: Oh, definitely. I'll have to add that to my ever growing list of awesome, beautiful places to visit on my bucket list. So where can people like follow and keep up with your sort of activities? Like I know that, so we, we connected over Twitter. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, would you like for people to, you know, like follow you and, and find you? Yeah, I'd love that.
1: Um, so my, Twitter, I feel like is a good place to follow where I put most of my updates about research or papers or um, just pretty pictures of geladas, um, <laughs> which is always fun. So my, my Twitter handle is gelada, not gelato. Um, and also the Simeon Mountains Gelada Research Project has a Twitter called, I think it's at gelata research. So that's a good one to follow, too. Awesome.
0: Well, thank you so much for, for spending all this time with us and sharing your knowledge. I feel like I have have learned some unexpected things.
1: Yes, you're very welcome. I'm always happy to chat about gelatis.
0: Or something that I always try to 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 make sure that people that might be listening that aren't either plugged into like scientific communities or don't have any sort of connection to scientific communities is like just ask (laughs) you know like like the 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 scientists we've connected with through doing this have just every single person has been so like receptive and enthusiastic and just happy to because you know like you're doing this work because it's it's your passion and your love so you know the people are always just like happy to to sit down and, and share some love about their favorite critters yes
1: most definitely i feel like we're always excited to share (laughs)
0: <laughs> Always, never ending. It's a font of enthusiasm. <laughs> well, I will let you go on and continue about your amazing business. So, uh, but just thank you for sharing all this time with us today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much. All right, we'll talk to you later. Bye.
1: Bye.